My name is uh, BB or Barrel B, and I'm an alcoholic. <laughs> um, my sobriety date is April 22nd, 2009. Um, and uh, let me start a timer. <laughs> um, I don't really, I don't really give a shit <laughs> why I'm an alcoholic. You know, I'm not going to go into like a super long thing about my childhood. I don't really think it's any of my business. I just am an alcoholic. <laughs> I can't drink like a normal person. Uh, and time, <laughs> time and experimentation definitely proved that. Um, I do remember, you know, not feeling like I fit in. I'm not right in my skin. Um, I feel like I was just dropped on earth and... <laughs> It was just a big fuck you <laughs> to me. Um, and I, I just really hated being alive. I just hated being me. And I found really fast at a very young age that it was uh, a lot easier to talk to people and to, you know, quote unquote, make friends uh, if drugs or alcohol were involved. Uh, people want to talk to you if you have drugs. And that's pretty much the only reason that I want to talk to people. <laughs> um, and my drinking spiraled really, really fast. Um, you know, I, I tried to tell myself that it was for fun, but it really wasn't. I drank to not be me, drank to not be in my body um, and made it a specific goal to do that. I was not interested in being buzzed. I was not interested in sticking around to hang out. Um, and like I said, it spiraled really fast. I found myself as a Jewish person dating a neo-Nazi. Um, my room looked like a beautiful mind. Like there was papers all over the wall. I thought that people could see me through the walls. I was pissing in jars all the way around my room. Uh, you know, I was stealing from people. I punched my mom in the face. I abused my sister. Just holy shit so much. Um, and, you know, if you had come up to me and asked me what my favorite color was, I would just say whatever you wanted me to say. As long as you had drugs or alcohol. Um, it's all I thought about, you know, it's like complete, utter mental obsession, as they talk about. Um, was... You know, how do I get through hard work being an alcoholic when you're a teenager? You know, all I thought about was like, how do I sneak out? How do I get, how do I get drunk? How do I get out of here? Where do I go uh, to get, <laughs> to get out of myself? And it pretty much accumulated with me trying to kill myself twice. Um, you know, just I, that feeling of being sick and tired of sick and tired that they say when you first come in, that's what I related to. You know, I just didn't want to keep drinking. I didn't know how to stop. I just wanted to die. Um, and I didn't get sober the first time from my own volition. I didn't know that that was a possibility. You know, I was still just trying to kill myself. You know, I switched from, I did all the things they say in the big book, you know, I switched from drinking, uh, in public to drinking in private and vice versa. I switched from using psychedelics to using Oxycontin. Cause at some point I was like, fuck it. Like, let's just die already. 
And um, my parents hired people to come and kidnap me in the middle of the night and transport me across state lines. Um, and that's how I actually got sober the first time. And so I can, I can say without a doubt that without AA and doing the steps, it did not compute, you know, all I thought about, and I was sober at the time for like six months of being in this wilderness program that was highly abusive. Um, all I thought about was drinking and using, I didn't help, you know, I ate juniper berries to get high. Um, <laughs> and after that, I ended up getting transferred to a lockdown facility, which, you know, is also under investigation for abuse and it was so horrible being there. And I ended up relapsing on Benadryl, which is really, really pathetic. You know, pick, pick anything cooler to relapse on if, you know, <laughs> that's your plan today. Um, but it was really shortly after that that I, I found um, AA. It's because if we got a high enough level, they carted our asses to the AA meeting in rural Utah <laughs> to like, you know, show us how to be sober and they didn't care. But this meeting is the first time I saw what sobriety meant. It was a room filled with like old white guys who were all ex-Mormons, they're all truckers. I had nothing in common. At the time, I was just a 16-year-old kid, you know. Um, but I'd never heard laughing like that since I could remember, you know, like full belly laughs. I didn't remember the last time that I laughed and I was again, a 16 year old kid <laughs> and I immediately was like, how do I get that? Like, I want that. I want, I want to be in a room full of people who like care about me regardless of who I am. Cause some of those motherfuckers were nuts and still people loved them. They got, you know, they got a hug when they got a chip. Um, you know, everybody applauded them <laughs> when they spoke and they all held hands after the meeting. And I was like, that's fucking weird. But, you know, I don't have that. I don't have love. I don't have anything. Um, so that's when I started to work the steps. Um, and I went full throttle. It was very obvious to me that my life was unmanageable. I mean, I was in a lockdown facility at the age of like 16 through 18, you know, like I, I'd had nothing else to do. Might as well try to get sober when it comes down to it. You know, it's either try some really simple suggestions and do some, you know, paperwork, admit some, you know, kind of rough things or die. And I'd already tried the dying part. It didn't work out great. I'm not very good at killing myself. <laughs> um, so I did it, you know, I, I did the next right thing I could do every single day. I tried really hard to be honest and I didn't know what that meant. You know, I tried really hard to do that. Um, and it slowly started to work. Um, and I started to feel like I didn't exactly hate being me. Um, I started to feel like I at least had a chance of trying every day to be the person that I wanted to be to myself and to other people. And most of that was, you know, that's the program. I, I wasn't alone for the first time ever. 
I didn't have to work the steps alone. I had a sponsor, got a sponsor after I got out of the lockdown facilities. And I started being of service and whatever that meant. If somebody asked if somebody could read how it works or set up chairs or do coffee, I volunteered. I'm not doing anything else. <laughs> um, might as well. And um I just tried. I just kept trying and I'm still trying, you know, it's a 24 hour program. You know, I wake up every day and try again. It's the progress, not perfection. That's important. We're never going to be perfect. The steps don't make you perfect. The steps allow you to be in community with other people who are going through the exact same thing and are just as fucked up, if not more. <laughs> and that's, you know, that's nothing I had before. And I'm, you know, as corny as it sounds, I'm extremely grateful for that. Um, I couldn't do this without all of you. And I stay sober because it's, you know, my sobriety isn't mine to, <laughs> to claim, you know, it's all y'all's. Um, and yeah, <laughs> a quick uh, sprint, <laughs> sprint share. Um, but yeah, I can't, I can't emphasize enough how, how much AA has given me in the ability to be able to just keep trying in all, in all of my affairs, you know, it's not just alcohol. I'm able to have relationship with my parents. It's not always great. I'm able to have a partnership today. That's not abusive. I'm able to like wake up and like talk to people. There's people in this room I'm really, really close with. I've never even met in person. And some of them know more about me than my partner does or my parents do or my best friend does, you know? And holy shit, that's so, we're like, honestly, I feel hell of lucky to be an alcoholic in AA. <laughs> A lot of people don't get that. You know, they don't, they don't get to have community like we do. So I'm just grateful to be here today. Thank you so much to those who are being of service. And thanks for asking me to, to share. Tony B, alcoholic, that's me. Right. I am for real, for real, uh, a fucking time cop and an alcoholic. That's <laughs> my uh, commitment for the other meeting. I have a commitment that. Um, and I just did my name like that because it's fucking rule 62, right? Like, don't take yourself so seriously. Um, dude, fuck yeah, BB. That was what's up. Like your share. Boom. I'm like, hella similarities. Welcome to the newcomers. You're in the right place. If you're new, give yourself a break, get a sponsor, work the steps. The steps are our solution. Meetings are just fellowship. Uh, they're a way for us to share with each other the language of the heart but the real solution lays in the book, in our literature. That's where the liberation happens. The, the uh, delivery from the bondage of self occurs in the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous in our literature. So if you don't get, if you don't have any literature, please, I challenge you to get some literature and I challenge you to get a, a sponsor and I challenge you to work these steps. Um, so my experience, Strength and Hope, uh, is I got sober just like BB when I was 17 years old, uh, January 6, 1993. Um, but before that, uh, and I got sober in San Francisco 
and San Francisco in the 90s was like a, a really cool, wild place. And when I told people that I got sober in San Francisco in the 90s, they were like, why would you go to the city to get sober? This is where you get fucked up. You know, like people who weren't alcoholics, you know what I mean? It's like, why would you do that? This, we have the best heroin in San Francisco. You know, like, like well, that's I, cool for you. I mean, you know, I'm here to like get my shit together, you know. Um, but before that, so like <clears throat> what it was like was, um, you know, I would uh, steal anything not la- nailed down to, to get alcohol and drugs and cigarettes and, uh, you know, whatever else I, I thought I needed, right? My alcoholic mind. And I, I believe now, like, you know, you guys taught me about alcoholism. It's, the ism is just I, self, and me, right? And, like, later in sobriety, when you don't have a sponsor, it stands for I sponsor myself. You know, when you're fucking doing my own shit, you know? Drinking my own Kool-Aid that I'm mixing in my head, believing all my thoughts, you know, that I have. So, but, but what it was like was, uh, you know, I remember it was, you know, some people say it was fun and then fun with problems and then just problems. And I remember pretty, pretty much ever before I, I even took a drink, you know, not to like piggyback baby, but like, I never really fit in anywhere either. You know, like I didn't feel right in my own skin. I didn't feel like I fit into my family. And, uh, the one thing I was really good at was, was finding the button in the room that would have everybody have a meltdown. So I would always run around and push that one button, you know, whatever that was and, and watch people, you know, like chickens with their heads cut off, try to figure it out, you know? Um, and so, uh, you know, I remember my Mexican grandma, she didn't speak any English. And so I would tell her, I want bananas right now. And she'd be like, Mijo Espanol, por favor. You know, like, <laughs> and I would just be like, bananas now. I want bananas now. I'm like two years old, three years old. And then my, my white grandma, I'd be like, platanos, dame la platanos ahora. <laughs> she'd be like, I don't speak that, that Spanish <laughs> in English, please. And so like, you know, just fuck with people. I love fucking with people. And uh, so, you know, I remember when I first met my stepfather, right before he married my mom, I was like four years old. And um, he, he reminded me later in life, he said, do you remember what you told me when you first met me? And I said, no. And he says, uh, you said, don't fuck with me because I'll make your life hell. I make people crazy. That's my job. That's what the fuck I do. And uh, I was like, I did not say that to you. <laughs> I'm sorry. Did say that? And he was like, yeah, you did. <laughs> so apparently I was kind of a Damien-esque child, you know, uh, the omen. But, um, you know, I don't remember. I don't that wouldn't. I wouldn't say that, but apparently my the experience of getting to live with me, having to live with me, uh, was that. So anyway, um, when I found alcohol, oh, and I should say also that I was prescribed Deceptamine, Mipramine, Dextrin, and Ritalin um, before uh, I ever found alcohol because I had ADD. I was diagnosed, diagnosed with ADD, ADHD, and I had a real hard time keeping my hands to myself. I had a real hard time paying attention in class. I had a real hard time doing anything that anybody expected me to do, but I had a real easy time in hyper-focusing the things that, like, uh, that I was interested in. So, like, you know, I would get in trouble because I could remember all the words to Billy Ocean's Caribbean Queen, but I could remember my times tables. And my parents were like, what the fuck? How do you know all the words to the song, but you don't know your times tables, you know? Or, like, you know, walk like an Egyptian. Um, so, like... Anyway, in school, I fought a lot. I got in trouble. I got sent to the principal's office a lot. And when I found alcohol and drugs, I was like, now I have an excuse for my behavior. Like, I can put it all on. Well, I was drunk or I was drinking or so-and-so, you know, got me drugs and I was high when I did that or whatever. 
or I was blacked out or like, you know, I'm sorry. I started a fight in the quad. I was on acid. <laughs> I was just like, you know, I was in trouble. And then the other thing was, is that I got kicked out of high school. Um, I should add that I was hospitalized three times. Uh, my psych, I was in the psych ward three separate occasions. Um, the first time I, they locked me up for, um, 11 weeks and, uh, they didn't let me out for a long time. And, um, you know, that really, I felt like weird and different and like kind of broken before that. But like, but when I got out of the psych ward, I kind of was convinced like, dude, I am definitely fucking broken. Like I, I have San Quentin to look forward to or living under a bridge to look forward to, or, um, I'm, and I'm always going to be alone and fighting everybody and everything all the time. Because up to that point, that's kind of like how I survived was like fighting everything and everyone just being really obtuse and like oppositional, um, I remember one of the doctors, I overheard them talking to one of the psychiatrists or whatever. And they said, you know, they wanted to like give me an oppositional defiant disorder uh, diagnosis because of how I was, but I was missing some of the criteria for the diagnosis and shit. And uh, those guys grow up to be like psycho, uh, schizo, uh, not schizo, but like uh, sociopaths, you know, like people who like really just don't give a fuck about other people's feelings and just kind of do whatever they want and end up in like, you know, Napa for life, you know, stabbing people in the neck with screwdrivers and shit. So I was just kind of like, well, you know, that's pretty bright future for Tony Baloney. So um, I drank and I drank and I used. And, um, and so the second time I was hospitalized, it was behind a suicide attempt. And then the third time I was hospitalized, it was by another suicide attempt. And um, I kept getting kicked out of everybody's house. So like I got kicked on my mom, mom's house. And she left me in juvenile hall when I was like 13. And she said, I don't love you. You're dead to me. I never want to see you again. Um, and, and I was devastated, right? Like I was like, fuck, dude. And when I would tell people that they'd be like, wow, I would never do that to my kid. You know what I mean? Like, oh, that's horrible. What a horrible mother. I would never do that to my kid, you know? And, uh, and, and, and I, in the back of my mind, I was like, yeah, this fucking bitch. She fucking left me for dead in the, in the juvenile hall. It's very angry, right? Very, very uh, upset. And, uh, so the last time what happened was, um, I was hospitalized. I was living at my biological father's house. I'd kicked, been kicked out of my aunts, out of my grandma's, out of my mom's. Um, no one really wanted anything to do with me at that point. And I was drinking every day, living in the backyard in a fucking tent because they wouldn't let me in the goddamn house uh, because I was not to be trusted around other people's shit. You know what I mean? Like, my, my fucking stepmom did not want me in the house, like, at all. My dad was at home. She was like, you're not, you're, you're like an animal. You know, just, she'd scream at me in Spanish and shit. And I was like, whatever, bitch, you're crazy. I hate you. I hope you, I hope you die. <laughs> like, just, she would throw her, you know, like the Mexican grandmas with their mothers with the chanclas. She had the high heel shoes. Like, she would always throw high heel shoes at me and be like, you're a liar, Carlos. <laughs> I'd duck and be like, you miss me, you know? And then go back in the tent in the backyard, try to, you know, sleep it off. And, uh, you know, just waking up in the front yard in my tidy whities and like laying there all fucking dusted out, smoking angel, angel dust, and just laying there in the front yard, like helicopters, like here in the helicopters. Do, 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 do. Like we would huff gas and shit, like when I couldn't find any dough or any alcohol or anything, I just huff gas and shit all day or glue. Um, so, anyway, the last time I was hospitalized, uh, it was time for me to go home. And the doctors uh, were like, hey, you know, your insurance is running out, you gotta go home. So, uh, I called everybody that I could, you know, fathom 
that I could remember their phone number and uh, nobody wanted, nobody picked up. Like nobody wanted, nobody wanted to talk to me. People were like, no, you're crazy. Go away. You need to go to Napa forever, blah, blah, blah. And uh, so what ended up happening was they just remanded me into custody for my county. And they said, you're going to be awarded the state until you're 18. And you're just going to stay in juvie until you're 18, which I thought was extremely like whack. You know, I was like, what the fuck? I didn't do anything. I'm like, there's no charges against me. You're just going to hold me in juvie. They told me it's whack. So this dude came to visit me from San Francisco. And this is when I got sober. This cat, uh, Jeff, I forget what his last name is, but this dude saved my life. Uh, he came to visit uh, the hall and he said, I'm going to take you or this other guy. I already promised that I was going to take this other guy. But if I don't take him for some weird reason, I don't end up taking this cat. I'm going to come back and get you. And uh, he said, you got to agree to these five things. You can't hurt anybody. Can you keep your hands to this song? Yes, I won't fight. Okay. Can you not have sex with any other residents? Yeah, I promise I'll do this. Can't get high. Can you do the pro- Yeah, I promise. You can't run away. Can you promise you? Yeah. And you can't have knowledge of anybody else doing these things, right? And if you do, you have to rat them out. I was like, oh, dude, just get me out of here. Like, that's all I want to. And so the place that I, he, so he went to go see this other kid and the other kid got in a riot or whatever in the, that word. And so he came back and snapped me up and we went, and we, he, he zipped me off uh, to San Francisco. And, um, and, uh, and, and this place was actually inspired by Synanon uh, or Daytop. And there's a place in San Francisco that the sister program is called Delancey Street. So just to give you an idea, it's like a therapeutic community, kind of like, you know, super militant and crazy, um, brainwashy type joint. But that's exactly what I needed, you know, and it works for some people. Some people it doesn't work for. Most people, I'd say like 80, 80 to, to 85% of the populace it probably wouldn't work for. But for real knucklehead shit birds like myself, it worked like a charm. Like I needed it, you know. Um, and uh, so in there, what lasted as a four-week period of orientation took me six months because I'm a fucking dipshit and I don't listen and I don't take directions and I'm not directable. And rebelliousness is the core of my disease, right? Everybody goes right. The rules are to go right. I go left. I'm like, yeah, whatever, guys. I'll be over here and see you. You know? Um, even if going right looks fun, you know? Like, if even if I want to go right, there's something in me that's like, you know what? No, motherfucker, you're going left because you're different. <laughs> the rules don't apply to you, right? And like that's that's really the other side of my disease. It's like, dude, the rules don't apply to you. You could do whatever you want. You don't have to wait for a red light. Fuck that shit. You could go. You could do this. You could do that. You know what I mean? Like my disease tells me I'm special, right? Um, so anyway, I go to this place, and this is where I get exposed to Alcoholics Anonymous, and. I didn't know anything about the 12 steps, really, right? Like, I, I kind of like my grandmother made me go to church when I was, you know, in my early using, when I was like 14. She's like, you got to go to church and we're going to take you to youth and you're going to do, you get in this Sunday school and you're going to go to these AA meetings. <laughs> I was like, I'm not going to any fucking AA meetings, man. Are you crazy? Like, I'm 14. I, I'm, you know, I like hot liquor. You know what I mean? I'm not like living under the bridge yet. Right, like there were so many yets for me when I was at like fourteen. Right, I like, think it really had not gotten that bad. But I was like, you know, drinking, stealing money for malt liquor for fucking forties, and, and Coke. I loved King Cobra. I loved King Cobra. Oh my god, it did allow me to act extemporaneously. If you read the literature, that's in the book. Watch, find it. Um, I dare you. Uh, the acting ex- extemporaneously. Anyway. Uh, what happened was, was I went to uh, get a sponsor. I started coming to meetings and, uh, you know, I, I would sit in the back of the room and kind of character assassinate people. 
and like take everybody's inventory and just kind of like, yo, look at this fucking jerk. Look at this fucking idiot. I hate this dude. This guy always talks about the steps. What are the steps? I don't care about that. Oh, she's hot. Oh, there. Oh, she's hot. You know, you go to meet. Is he? It's some. You know, people say whatever keeps you coming back, right? Like it's uh, in the early days. Uh, I would come to meetings because there were, you know, a lot of beautiful women there. And I was like, oh, well, then I definitely have to keep coming back to meetings. This is amazing. Um, and I would get out of the fucking military academy. I was locked up in for a year for like, you know, an hour and a half. Right. And you take beauty and you go to Tuesday downtown or you go up to the upper hate or you go out to uh Went out in the avenues. There were some good meetings. I can't remember what they were called, but but looking back, you know, there were lots, myriad meetings you could go to. And I got a sponsor, right? And so, like, some of the suggestions were like, yo, get a sponsor. And I was like, well, how do I get, what, who do I pick? Like, I hated everybody I was locked up with. I was like, these people are nerds. Like, I hate these cats. Like, like everybody's trash. Like, I was so negative, right? Like, but then there was this one cool guy from New York, and he played in two hardcore bands that I had heard of. And he wore, like, cool clothes he had like he wore he dressed like me he had the camo pants with the with the uh with the rainbow belt and he had like the sick ass like you know the, uh, denim jacket with the patches and shit and he had long hair and he had this crazy accent he played in these hardcore bands i was like yo i like you will you sponsor me and he was like yeah i'll, I'll take you through the steps bro his name was howie zowie so howie zowie took me through the steps and um and he he actually told me this funny thing he goes be careful that you don't get carried out of the rooms of on a cloud of religious zealotry, bro. And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, well, some people find God around here and then they start, they just kind of like, they get enlightened and then they float out of the rooms. You got to stay here to pass on the message to the newcomers. And I was like, okay, okay, whatever that means. I'm just nodding and smiling and shit. And they're like, look, two years later, this one just disappeared into a cult. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, oh shit, you did what you told me not to do, man. But it was cool because he took me through the steps. So he did, he, he did give back what he was so freely given. Um, I love that guy. He was hilarious. So, and I would see him up and down Telegraph Avenue over here in Berkeley and shit, you know. Uh, we would hang out, get food and stuff. Like, you know, because, you know, and I remember one time we were, I was riding my bike and he's all, yo, and I turned around and he's like, what's up, Tom? And I like went up to him and he goes, he goes, he's smiling. He's looking at me and he points up to this guy. He's like, somebody up there loves you, bro. He loves you so much, bro. And I was like, ah, they gave him a big hug. And I was like, thank you, man. So, you know, like little God shots like that, right? Like, <clears throat> and um, so anyway, he took me through the 12 steps. And the first time I worked the 12 steps, it was kind of like real fast, broad, like really like quick, hard, fast, like bam. Cause I just wanted to get him out of the way. Right. Um, but so like the first step, obviously we admitted we were powerless over alcohol and that our lives had become unmanageable. So like, I, I didn't, I wasn't really able to wrap my mind. I knew that I was fucked. I knew the jig was up. I knew I could not continue to drink to good effect. I couldn't, I couldn't ever drink to good effect. Like, you know, like our reading that we just had just now about like, you know, we are like men who have lost their legs. Like, I will never be able to walk again, bro. Like, my legs are gone. For real. Like, they are gone, gone. And this idea that somehow, maybe someday I'll get robot legs, you know? And like, or or maybe like, I don't know. Like, they will possibly like, I can get spliced with a salamander tail. That genome. And like, 
and like grow them back or like you know i'll never be able to drink right like a normal person i can't just have like i watch people sometimes like back in the day i would watch people sip wine or like have a beer and i'm like what are you doing what are you doing how are you leaving half of it in the fucking bottle bro like what are you doing like you should pound and then again and then rinse repeat all night long let's go you know like what are you doing so um you know obviously i don't drink normally like normal people do i don't know what that looks like so you know the first step is the only thing i have to do 100 correctly is making that admission but before i can admit something i have to accept it and for me to accept something I have to cease fighting everything and everyone, right? And in the literature, in the beginning of our readings, in Alcoholics Anonymous, we say we have I we abandoned ourselves to God as we understood God. And until we let go absolutely, the result was nil. So regarding the first step, I have to let go absolutely of any idea, any hope that I can ever drink to good effect. So, um, and clearly my life is unmanageable. <laughs> Clearly, I lack the power in myself to have a spiritual experience by myself, in and of myself. Like, I am nothing. I know the Father doeth alone the works. You know what I mean? Like, I get that. Like, when I first got here, I was like, don't talk to me about God. I don't want to hear about God. Don't talk to me about JC. I don't want to hear about that shit. I don't want to hear any religious bullshit. Like, I'm like, I didn't come here for that. I came here because I was in spiritual and emotional bankruptcy. Like I, some people got sober and they had low self-esteem. I had no fucking self-esteem. I wanted to fucking die. Like most, most days I woke up crying because God did not slay me in my sleep. And I would go to bed kind of like weeping, please asking God, please just fucking kill me in my sleep. Cause I was like kind of too chicken shit in the end to do anything about it. You know what I mean? Um, so my life was unmanageable and I am powerless over alcohol, period. Like once I start, once I have one, like it's on and popping. Like I'm like, just, I can't stop, you know? And it's the same thing with everything else in my life. It's not just alcohol, it's cigarettes, bro. Like once you have one, you will tell yourself that lie. Like I will, I will tell myself that lie. Just, you know what? I'm bored. You know what? I just want one. I have one, boom, I'm sm- I'm a smoker again. You know what I'm saying? It's the same thing with alcohol. Anything, same thing with drugs. I just want one. I just want one. I will just do, boom, I'm off and running again. There's no stop. And then you don't know when you're going to stop again or if you're going to live. You know, you're going to make it out of it. You know what I'm saying? So two, coming to believe that a power greater than myself could restore me to sanity. I don't know any of you, uh, about any of you guys, but like I was never saying, I don't know what, and nobody in my fucking family is sane. Like, no one models to me any modicum of sanity in my family. Like, I watched, I grew up watching my grandfather run around the house chasing my grandmother with a fucking ice pick when he was mad. You know what I'm saying? So, like, I don't know how to act right. Like, I don't come from a bloodline on either the German, Italian side or the Mexican side. Like, I don't know what that looks like. So, I had to learn. You guys had to teach me through the 12 steps. God had to teach me how to discipline me, right, about sanity and what that looked like. Um, and so coming to believe, okay, yeah, maybe if I, if I try it somebody else's way, I'll get a different result, right? If I, don't, if, if I don't do my way one more time, usually when I do things my way one more time, I end up in juvie, in handcuffs, or, you know what I mean, pissing everybody off and frustrated and alone so making a decision to turn my will and my life over the care of god as i understand it 
making a decision, right? Like that's just like me inviting God into my life. Like, please direct my thinking, please, please direct my, my uh, behavior. Will and life are synonymous with thinking and behavior for me. Um, so when I make a decision, uh, it's like me saying, you know what, like, I let go absolutely of what whatever it is that's happening right now. I give I abandon myself hundred percent to you. And I'll do that. Sometimes I'll be walking down the street. I don't know if you guys talk to yourself. I talk to myself. And uh I will be talking to myself about some bullshit and something I'm wrestling with, right? Like that I'm, I'm not I'm refusing to like inventory or refusing to call my sponsor about or you know what I'm saying? Like something I'm not, I'm toiling, I'm I'm vexed, I'm bedeviled. I, I you know there's a vexation, right? So I'm talking to myself about I'm trying to work it out. And um, there will come a moment when I'm done wrestling with it. And I just go, you know what, dude? It's your fucking problem now. <laughs> I just look up at this guy and I'm like, I'm like, it's your fucking problem now. I abandon myself completely to you. I'm done. And I'll just stop. I'll just turn it over. Just like that. I just let it go, man. And, uh, and the one thing that I will say that was a little bit easier for me to do that in sobriety was that when I, when my mother, when I was a little kid, um, she would say weird shit like, give it up to God. And I'm like, what kind of bullshit is this? We're Presbyterian, mom. We don't do that shit. You don't do that shit. What is this trying to give it up to God? Are you reading books? What are you doing? reading John Bradshaw books? Like, you know, she would say weird, like off the cuff bullshit to me, like, give it up to God. <laughs> Whatever, dude. Um, and so uh, the step four, making a searching and fearless moral inventory of myself. So all that is, right, like I write down, like I do my hit list, right? I make a list of all the people, people, places, and things that I, I wish I could set on fire. And um, what I do is I write the list, and then I take each person, I itemize it, I go, what did they do to me, right? <laughs> and the next column is, what did I do to them? And then the next column is, what, uh, what are the character defects, my character defects, gleaned from what I did to them? And then the spiritual opposites of those character defects in the final column. And I write that all down and I share that with my sponsor, right? And my fifth step and admitting to God, to myself and to another human being, the exact nature of my wrongs. Right. And so oftentimes, you know, like, I like how in the book it says, uh, we step on the toes of our fellows and they retaliate. Right. And I realized like recently, right. Um, cause I'm, I think I'm on third, my third step right now, uh, for, with my sponsors, having me do all this reading and shit. Uh, around smoking because I just quit uh, 40, 48 days ago. And anyway, no, all I have is today, right? All I got is today. I'm not going to say I'm going to quit forever. That's, I know where that gets me. So just for today, like I'm not smoking today. But um, he, he kept me on doing this writing. I mean, all this reading and, and some writing. But uh, I'm, I'm, I'm like, uh, I, it's so weird because like I've been asked to do addendum stuff like around this using the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. And for the longest time, I was so reticent to like do any step work around it because I just thought like, well, this, the AA works for alcohol, for alcoholism. AA 12 steps doesn't work for anything else. Right. <laughs> so stupid. That's so like presumptive of me. Right. And it even says, like, you can use this in all of your affairs. Like, these steps, these traditions, these uh, spiritual principles will work in all your affair, all of our affairs. But I think I didn't want to work the steps around smoking because I knew it would work. I think deep down, I was like, nah, I'm not ready to quit, bro. Like, I'm just not. I'm just not. Oh, I can barely breathe? Nah, I'm not ready to quit, bro. Oh, my throat hurts constantly? Nah, I'm not ready to quit, bro. Oh, 
Uh, it's it it makes riding a bicycle very hard. Nah, I'm not willing to quit, bro. <laughs> it wasn't until like I was in excruciating pain behind it that I was like, okay, I'm willing to quit, bro. <laughs> that's with everything in my life. I have to paint myself into a fucking corner before I do anything about it, and have to be in excruciating pain before I take any action. That's the kind of alcoholic I am, right? I have to be proven wrong. And time and time again and then finally i'm like okay you're right you you're right i i i quit <laughs> i okay, i yield i yield yes yes um it is so funny i'm such a knucklehead uh and then six we're entirely ready to have god remove all these defects of character um so like my my experience with with being ready to have God remove my defects of character is contingent upon how willing I mean, I'm willing to meet him halfway by living in the spiritual opposites that I learned from my defects of character in my fourth and fifth step. So like you keep that list right of the spiritual opposites and you keep them in a place that you could see them. Uh, and I keep mine in my 12 and 12, I have like a, the back of my 12 and 12, I keep a running tally. And I thought, you know, like over time, like I've I got 29 years, right? I thought like, shit, by the time I'm 30, I'm 30 years into this bullshit, <laughs> then I'll have no more character defects that I'll be a saint, right? And like, go wrong. The, the first, one of the first things we say in our literature is we are not saints. <laughs> so then that goes. And I'm, so I'm like reading the running tally of my character defects and character assets in the back of my book. And there's more every year. Like, I get more character defects. I'm like, where are these coming from? Why? Where are these coming from? Like, and of course, it's just learning about yourself, peeling the layers of the onion back, and then making peace with that and accepting that as, okay, well, that's one more thing for me to work on. Um, obviously, with God's help, right? Like, I don't have to do this all alone. Like, when people tell they complain to me about something going on in their life or like, you know, this sucks or this thing happened, blah, 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 blah. And there's like a litany of things that are wrong in this person's life. And I just go, wow, it sounds like you're doing it all alone, you know? And they're like, well, yeah, I'm doing it alone. Everybody's got to do it alone. I'm like, yeah, but you don't. You don't really. Are you asking for help? Are you praying? Are you talking to God regularly? Your higher power? Are you talking to your higher power at all about it? You, well, you inviting God in? this at all and they're like no nah, it feels hokey to me <laughs> okay <laughs> this is usual keep, keep up the good work i guess i don't know you sound pretty fucking miserable to me uh for me i cannot afford to like cut myself off from the sunlight of the spirit like at all like i have to stay in an attitude of gratitude i have to stay in touch with god i have to try to like make um i've been like doing a gratitude list in the morning um, and, and practicing humility, right? Like thinking of myself less. And like, I had, um, a situation recently where I could have just like business as usual, like do my thing and just keep it moving. Right. But like, I did something special for somebody else and without any expectation of like any kind of return. And it made me feel good. Like I felt joy again, you know? Um, it's really easy for me to like, just kind of get stuck in like the whole daily grind of like, go to work, brush your teeth, go to the bathroom, take a shower, you know, eat food, walk the dog, you know, be a good partner, do this, do that. Um, and not really like do anything extra, like go to your commitments, work your responses and things can become really rote. 
So my sponsor has given me some suggestions on some new stuff that I could do. And I think I need to start practicing that because I, I feel a little bit dry, not super duper dry. Like I'm still doing some stuff, but like, uh, you know, I could be doing more. Um, so then, uh, we, okay. So seven humbly asking to remove our shortcomings. Um, and like a shortcoming, I was, I always felt like, I was like, what is a shortcoming? Right. And like one of my sponsors, I think it was either Hal or Howie Zowie, uh, one of the two. And they were like, shortcomings are like getting in a car with square wheels and expecting a smooth ride. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, Oh, that's, that's messed up. And they would be like, well, it's like being half a person and try expect it, and getting into a relationship with another half a person and expecting to be a, a whole relationship. It's not going to work. You got to be one whole person and another whole person. And they're not even looking at each other. They just got to be looking in the same direction, right? Like side by side, right? That's it. Is. But anyway, that, and then, you know, I had another sponsor tell me intimacy, right? Was, what do you think intimacy is? And I was like, I don't know, sex. And he's all, no, man, no. What's that? Intimacy. Think about it. Break it down. I'm like, uh, uh, I don't know. You tell me, man. And, and he goes, uh, into me, you see like into me you see so you let people you get vulnerable and you allow people to get to know you right in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous and we start we learn how to do that with our sponsors right and if we can't get 100% completely naked with our sponsor the proverbial uh, pro proverbially obviously uh naked with our sponsors then then who, who can we get honest with right like you know what? And the, the literature suggests too, like, you know, if you feel like you can't read your first step to your, your whole fifth step to your sponsor, maybe pick a clergyman, maybe pick a taxi cab driver, maybe pick a complete stranger and just like, you know, bah, you know, vomit the, your fourth step on them. And you're never going to see them again anyway. Right. Like, so you can, you can't compartmentalize it, but as long as you're honest with yourself and another person and your higher power, um, I think that's what they're getting at. Right. But uh, eight, making a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. So that was really scary for me, right? Because remember back when I told you guys about how my mom had left me in a juvenile hall cell and was like, I don't love you and I, I hope you die. You know, like that kind of shit. Um, you know, it, like we didn't talk for, until I had like, I think 13 years sober. And every time I got to my eighth step, her name was always at the top of the list. And she had like cut me off. I mean, like dead, like disavowed, burn notice. Like you are done. You are like, we don't know you. You know what I mean? Like we don't, we don't know this asset. We don't know. Are you dead to me? Uh, so it came around to the, la the that one time when I was ready to make, do my amends again, she's at the top of my list. And I talked to my stepdad and he's like, they weren't married, but like he, they had kids together. So like they were talking kind of, and uh, he had been kind of like slowly, like, you know, water on a rock, wearing her down over, you know, year after year, uh, because he knew I was doing good. Right. And I wasn't drinking anymore. I wasn't stealing shit. I was staying out of jail. And, you know, I was working a job, you know, being a good, you know, a little fucking uh, citizen. And, um, so finally she came around and, and, uh, she took a phone call from me and cause he, you know, he greenlit, he said, Hey, give her a call. She said, she'd take a call, you know, whenever you're ready, you know? And so I called and we hooked up and then I, you know, I made my amends to my mom. Right. Like, and that was like the heaviest shit. Like I got my mom back and I'll call it. The miracle of the 12 steps is like, I got, 
to mend that relationship with somebody who like I had burned so bad in my disease. Like I was her son, right? I was like her firstborn, you know, but like I burned her so hard that she wanted nothing to do with me. And I say that that's like so far off the mark for a mother to do that. But I mean, that's kind of who she was. Like if you pissed her off, you were dead to her, right? Like she would just whack you off. It didn't matter if it was like her mom or her aunt or whatever. Um, oh, shit. Tony, I, need to Tony, so, I, to I got you. Yeah, I'm going to wrap it up. I'll wrap it up. Okay, thanks. Copy, copy that. Um, so anyway, what happened was she died a couple years later. In, uh, but but in the time that we got to like hang out and like, you know, be father, uh, son, son, mother, like we got, I got my mom back. Hey, help me get my mom back. And, um, but then she died and I got to bury her sober. And then, um, yeah, it was totally God's will. And uh, yeah, so the bottom line is, is if you feel like you're going to drink tonight, don't um get to a meeting tomorrow and if no one told you they love you today i love you and have a good night thank you for letting me be of service